Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. It is good to see everybody here this morning. As we get started, I wonder if I were to ask you what you would say. What do you consider to be the difference between belief and trust? Belief and trust. Do you, do, do you use those two words interchangeably, or is there a nuance you might would bring out as you try to define one and the other? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about believing something, it's kind of at a mental level. Like in my head, I think this is true. I think this is accurate. Or here are some things that I know, and therefore I believe. But that's something that for me can kind of happen mostly internally. But if you want to talk about trust, there's a a mental aspect to trusting, isn't there? But then there's also that place where the rubber meets the road, and if I believe this, if I trust this, my actions will follow suit, and you'll be able to tell from my actions just how much I really believe that thing that I said I think is true. So I would say perhaps the difference between belief and trust is that believing is thinking something, but trusting is where you really start building your life around something. So in one of my favorite infomercials from the last couple of years, I wonder if you remember this scene. You remember the flex tape guy? Can somebody give me the quote? Anybody know the quote? I I saw this boat in half. Yeah. So I love that line. So in the infomercial, so, you know, this is a television commercial, so who knows whether this was real or not, but he saws a boat in half. He uses his fancy tape to tape it back together, and then you see him out there uh, on on the water hooting and hollering because he's driving around in this boat that's only being held together by flex tape. Now, again, I would have to verify to truly believe that and make sure it wasn't just some flex tape applied to a boat, but... That's the way they're trying to sell you on this stuff, is that it's the difference between a guy saying, I've got a really good product, and a guy saying, I'm going to go out here and risk my life at high speed on the water, flying around in something that's only held together by this product. I might say that could be an example of the difference between belief and trust. Uh, Last week, we began a a brief study. We're going to look at three different psalms over these three weeks, and um, All of these three psalms mention they are for Jeduthun or according to Jeduthun. As I mentioned last week, uh, we don't actually know completely what that means, whether that is uh, like a familiar theme, because they do have some themes that resonate from psalm to psalm, or perhaps it's a certain musical genre or style, but Jeduthun is a person that they reference. And as I started looking at these three that are written for Jeduthun, whatever that means, I saw some things in there that I felt spoke well to the time that we're living in and some of the things that we're struggling with. So last week we looked at Psalm 39. Today we're going to spend all of our time in Psalm 62. So if you've got a Bible and you would like to have it open, uh, that's the place where we're going to be camped out for today. And so if you would turn to Psalm 62, you'll have that as a ready reference uh, as we go. This is a psalm that deals especially with uh, trusting faith real trusting faith. I believe this, and I'm also basing my life around it. And as we read through here, you'll see what happens is that the psalmist takes a couple of ideas about God and says, he kind of puts them in a picture frame and says, these are the things that I believe to be true. 
These are the things that I think are accurate about God, and now watch me in my life as I show you just how much I really believe that. It goes for me beyond thinking it's true to actively trusting God in my life. Because I believe this, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how you can know that I really mean what I'm saying. In fact, in this psalm, there are six different lines that begin with a Hebrew word that we translate one of several different ways, but it's a word that can either mean surely or indeed or truly. And if you were to skim through there in Psalm 62, you'll see several of those stanzas begin with surely or indeed or truly. So, so here's a guy trying to say, uh, you wonder if he's even trying to convince himself in some ways. This is, this is what I really believe to be true. When it comes down to my core level, surely, indeed, this is the thing that I'm going to hold on to. This is what I consider to be reality. So beginning in verse 1, he says, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. If this were a newspaper article, that would be the bold headline for this psalm. Surely my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you <clears throat> throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. He's definitely writing from the perspective of one in power. This is a psalm by David. So speaking as the king, he says, I've got enemies that want to knock me over like a flimsy fence. He says, that's what's going on here. They're saying that they can take me down, and while I may be flimsy, the God that I'm standing on, the God that I'm leaning on, is not flimsy. So again, there's the picture. This is where I'm putting my trust in this hard circumstance. He uses some really great words in this psalm to describe what God is like. He says, God is my rock. God is that solid foundation that you can stand on, that you don't have to worry about when you're standing on God and God's principles. It's a solid rock foundation. He says, God is also my salvation. So when I get in over my head, who's going to rescue me? Who's going to save me from the things I couldn't fix on my own? He says, God. God is my salvation. When I'm in over my head, I know that God's going to cover me. He also says that God is my fortress. I have a safe place that I can go for shelter. God is where I go to be protected and shielded from what the world is trying to do. And so again, the problem that he's facing, it seems, as he writes this psalm, is that he's got enemies that are looking to topple him from the position that he's in in life. Something that's sad and interesting to me is the way in culture, on the one hand, we love to exalt people and put them on pedestals, do we not? We have celebrities, we have publications and shows all dedicated to worshiping our idols, so to speak. We have people that we try to make superhuman, we make them with Photoshop more beautiful than any human being could really be, and we put them up on these pedestals, and then in this sinister way, just as much as we loved to lift them up and worship them, in the next breath, you'll watch our whole culture pile on top of them to tear them back down to the earth. We love to see someone topple just as much as we love to put them on top of a pedestal. It's been especially sad over the years with child stars, has it not? You see a young child who gets very famous very young, and they end up with all sorts of problems so much of the time. It's very sad. But we have a culture that loves to put people up just so eventually we can also tear them back down again. But he said, we'll find out 
what my foundation is made of, because I myself am not my foundation. He says, God is his fortress. And now that things are under attack, we're going to see, once I start really standing on this floor, once I put my faith into action, are we going to discover that this floor I'm standing on is full of rotten boards or perhaps the roof over my head, the rafters are eaten through with worms, and it's all just ready to topple. But I am putting my confidence in God. So whoever God is, whatever God is, God's going to be the one who stands the test that people can see. This is where I put my hope. So will God support me? On my own, they could topple me. They can knock me down. But I'm putting my trust in God. I don't just believe it. I'm now living it. He continues in verse 5, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. You wonder if he's repeating some of these ideas because he needs to remind himself again and again. It speaks well to that kind of a position in life. He says, my salvation and my honor depend on God. It depends on God, my honor, my salvation. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. And now he speaks to his listeners and says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So here he makes a bold move. Not only does he let you know what he's living his life based on, but it's an invitation to anyone who listens. You know, you need to do the same thing. I like how often in the Psalms, the psalmist will speak to his soul. It says, my soul, remember, remember who you trust. Remember where your value comes from. Soul, remember that you depend on God. But he also says to all the congregation, all of you are in this same boat. God is the only place where we can put our trust. He's having kind of a Joshua moment, isn't he? There's that passage in Joshua that we all love so much, whereas they are starting to conquer the promised land. Joshua draws a line in the sand and says, look, I know we've been wishy-washy for a long time on whom it is we're really going to trust. And he says, you and your household, if you want to go backwards and worship those gods from back over in Egypt, or if you want to worship the gods of these people that we're actively driving out of the, line, the land, that, that is all your business. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. He draws the line in the sand, but this is also what the psalmist is doing. Think about where it is you're drawing the line in your sand. Where are you going to place your trust and your hope? And he says it's important that you get this right because in the end, it matters how the scales balance out. He would challenge us to understand that the world is dealing with a set of scales that are deeply flawed and often trying to measure the wrong things. If you were here last week in Psalm 39, one of the ideas that shows up strongly in both of these psalms is where he talks about life like a vapor or a mist, or people like a vapor or a mist. Here in Psalm 62, he says, whether it's someone who is highborn, someone who comes from nobility, or someone who comes from the lowest of lows in society, he says, all of us together are but a mist or a vapor. Our time here is limited, and there's nothing we can do to change that. But he says, what happens? What happens when the things the world says are so important, 
when you put those things on a scale, he says it doesn't make any difference. If you take something that's ultimately nothing and you even add to it something else that's nothing, you can pile nothing on top of nothing as much as you want, and in the end, what do you end up with? Nothing. He says this is what the world is offering us. The world is evaluating according to the wrong criteria. So uh, there was a video that was circling, uh, circulating a few years ago. I really got a kick out of this, and you may have seen it. But uh, there was an L.A. fashion store launching a new location, and they reached out to a lot of different social media, like fashion influencers. So the people who are having like their YouTube channels and Instagram posts and all this stuff. So these are the like influential fashion people from around L.A., They invited all of them to this exclusive opening party where they could come see all the new products from Pelesi. And so they've got this great video of them interviewing all these fashion experts who were just raving on these products. You know, it's this flucy event, and they're looking fancy, and they're talking about the quality of the products, and look at the workmanship, and what great value. Despite the fact that these shoes cost $600, it's a bargain for what you're really getting when you buy these shoes. Several of them actually made purchases at this event, and then they made the big reveal. This was all a prank. Pelesi was a fake store made up by Payless Shoes. Yeah, 100% of the items that these people were raving about, these fashion experts, they were all products from Payless. They, they were nice enough to refund them, but several of them actually spent 600 or more dollars on Payless shoes, arguing bargain. You know, the world's standards, the way that we judge things, the scales by which we measure things and their true value are often so bankrupt and wrong. The world doesn't like having a mirror held up to it, but if we're wise, we will look into that mirror and evaluate what's truly worth hanging on to. So in contrast to the world where you've always got to be on your guard, you've always got to be justifying your own existence and trying to prove yourself and trying to win and trying to increase yourself and aggrandize yourself, in contrast to that exhausting rat race that so many people live, David says God offers us a real alternative. I think what he's telling us in this psalm is that God is breathing room for your soul. That's what it's like to walk with God. God is like having breathing room for your soul. You know, you really do need to have a place in life where you can let your guard down and, and just be yourself, warts and all, that you don't have to impress anybody, that you don't have to have it all together. You need a place to be an authentic human being, to be loved and accepted without having to prove anything. God provides that for us. God gives us a safe place to be vulnerable. And I like the language he uses here as he encourages the whole congregation. He says, when it comes to God, pour your heart out. Now, when you think about pouring something out, that's kind of messy language, isn't it? You know, we're not, we're not being delicate with this. He says, when it comes to you and how you relate to God, you just dump it all out on the table. You don't need to hold anything back. You don't need to be embarrassed about anything. Just be honest in all things. Of course, you still have some sin problems. Of course, you didn't do all the things you intended to do as well as you intended to do them. But God's love for you isn't contingent on any of those things. You are God's precious, beloved child exactly as you are. He says, God is like breathing room for our souls. 
He continues this last part of the psalm. He says in verse 11, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. You reward everyone according to what they have done. One of the repeating themes in this psalm is waiting in silence for God. He mentions it two different times. In verse 1, he says, my soul waits in silence. He says again in verse 5, my soul waits in silence. The implication here is that I don't really have inner silence. I really have a lot of things I want to say, but I'm going to choose to calm myself to say, God is my refuge, my fortress, my salvation, my deliverer. This is the thing I'm going to hang on to, and so I'm going to be silent and trust that God will do something. I've got reasons for concern and for anxiety, but I'm not going to choose to live into those reasons. And because I'm trusting God, I will wait for God. And then verse 11 is where God is responding to his waiting. He says, here's some things I know to be true. I know that God is powerful, that God can do whatever is needed. He's reminded that God is loving. Whatever God does for us, it doesn't mean we'll always like in the moment what God does, but isn't it usually the case in hindsight that things begin to make more sense? I'd like to think that all of us have that experience at some point in life where the thing I prayed for with with the most urgency at one point in time, a few years down the road, I am so grateful that God told me no to that thing. That was way off in what I thought I needed. God's not going to give us what's bad for us, but like any loving parent, God's going to be doing what's in our best interest. He's powerful, but he's also dearly loving of us. He'll do what leads to my growth, my healing, my inner peace, and he reminds us also that God will repay. God will repay according to this loving power he's just described. So what do we do with a psalm like this one? I'm challenged by David's words here. First and foremost, we should always try to take steps in life, do things that we can actually feel good about. It is the case for David that he's got lots of things weighing on his mind. He's got enemies that are actively going after him, but he says, you know, I'm going to trust that God is my rock. It's not based on me or my power. It's based on God and his power. And so within the world around me, the things I can actually affect or change, I'll do what I can. But in the end, it's important that I can lay down at night and have a clean conscience. You need to do things that you can actually feel good about. Even if you don't always succeed, you want to be able to say that you tried to do the right thing. You tried to do the compassionate thing, whether it was received warmly or pushed back on or altogether rejected. You want to do the kinds of things where at the end of the day you can say, God, this is in your hands, but I really feel like I tried to do what I could. You want to do things that you can feel good about. I think David also challenges us to give to God all the heavy stuff. Whatever it is that's making you try to reach past your grasp just for today. You know, Jesus talks a lot about the importance of worrying about today because tomorrow can worry about itself. He says, if it starts getting outside of the scope of what you can actually do anything about right now today, put it in God's hands and let God work on it. And tomorrow when you have to deal with another part of it, God will help you then too. But put all the heavy stuff on God's shoulders. You won't give him more than he can handle. You won't overburden him. 
God doesn't even need to sleep. He's working while we have to rest. He also challenges us to wait for God's timing. That's the hard part about trusting. It's one thing when I believe that God's going to come through for me, but then sometimes for God to come through the way that he intends to, it might not just take half an hour or a few days or a few weeks. Sometimes the, the best answers from God may be years in the making, sometimes even decades in the making. It's hard to continue to be faithful and to wait for God, but David admonishes us it is worth waiting for God's timing because it is so much more satisfying than when I try to find my own quick fix method and I mess everything up worse than it was to begin with. No, I have to live into my integrity. I have to take steps that I can feel good about, turn the heavy things over to God, and just trust, as David is doing in this psalm, trust that God is going to do what's best for me on his own time. One of my favorite passages in the Psalms uh, is Psalm 127 and verse 2. If I had to make a list of like some of my top favorite scriptures, this is definitely on my list because I think I need to be reminded of it very often. Exploring some similar ideas, David says, in vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he, he being God, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So he says, if you're staying up extra late at night and waking up extra early in the morning, and the reason that you're doing that is that you're wearing yourself out over material things or pointless things or the stuff that's going to become a mist or a vapor. He says, when you wear yourself out over that stuff, you're doing it for nothing because if the one you're really trying to connect to is God, you know what God wants you to have? God wants you to have a good night's sleep. God wants you to be able to get rest. He wants you to have a clean enough conscience that you can lay down on your pillow and go to sleep and feel okay with it. That's a verse that I have to bring up to myself often, but I love that thought that, you know, you can, you can wear yourself out, but it's not because God's pressuring you to. God gives sleep to those he loves. The end result, I like to say that might even be one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I were allowed to add that in, I might say, and also a pretty good night's sleep most of the time. When you're right with God, you should be able to be at peace, and that's a happy thought. So are you, are you really wearing yourself out? Do you really believe the things that God promised he would do for you, that he is going to help you? Do you live in that trusting faith that God is going to protect you and to act in your best interests? I want to challenge all of us to stop working and worrying as if the whole world depends on you, and instead, let's just live as if we depend on God. Let's live as if we depend on God. Maybe this morning there is someone here or a few people here, and you've got some burdens you've been carrying that you do need to set down, and, and maybe it would be helpful to you to have us take some time just to pray for you in this burden you've been picking up unnecessarily or you're not quite sure what to do about. Uh, maybe this is a day that you want to make an extra commitment. Maybe today you'd like to become a Christian, to put your faith in Christ, to be baptized into his blood, to get the help that comes from the Spirit of God living within you. That's another thing we'd be happy to help you with this morning. Um, whether it's right now or, or any time, you're always welcome to reach out to myself, the other ministers, to the elders, and frankly, I think to most of the people sitting around you. If there's anything we can do to help you, this is one time that we set aside where if you'd like to respond publicly, I'd invite you to come forward and talk to me while together we stand and sing this song.